following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Fun time to get to. And, uh, the month of April behind us. That's usually a huge blessing for all of us, especially uh, if you're like me, um, self-employed according to the tax code of the United States of America. And <laughs> well, it was a it was a huge surprise. It's one of those kinds of things in life where uh, life is not so much starting over again, but it's a new chapter. It's not so much uh, a rewind or do over, but it's what uh, the new surprises are. So this last month, uh, just about the second week in April, we got this uh, quite a surprise when my tax preparer gave me a call. He says, "Hey, what are, what are all the changes here and all your tax work?" And I said, "Well." Yeah, I said, I guess there's been some changes, but I've been so busy I haven't really noticed. That's why I hire you. And he says, well, I've kind of sorted it out, but the news is not good. And I says, well, what do you mean? He says, well, you uh, you owe the government quite a bit of money. And I says, really? And I says, well, how much? And he told me, and it's a, it's a five-digit number. So I says, really? That's really something. <laughs> so I, I I said to him, well, let me, let me, uh, I guess, I guess, you know, you always tell me the truth. There's not, not much I could do about it, but I have to figure out how to pay it and then how to get it done. So I called our HR department for the seminary, and I mentioned to them the problem. I said, hey, I got this bill from Uncle Sam, and I uh, just wanted to know if uh, what whatever happened with my taxes. So she called me up, and she says, Bruce, I had about a, had a heart attack. And she says, I, but I went through all your material, and yeah, there were some changes and she said, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And because all that happened, they stopped doing this for you. And um, so you've got uh, nine months, I guess, of taxes that uh, we haven't been taken out for you. So I says, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll just have to take care of it. And she says, Bruce, I can't believe this. And I says, well, can't, I can't believe it either. No, she said, no, that you're not upset. And I says, well... It's not your fault. I said, you paid us the money. It's now just a matter of accounting it. And as I hung up, I thought, no wonder we, we were able to save so much this last year. <laughs> so I, went, I, I talked to Yvonne about it, and I says, hey, you know how much we've been saving and how cool it's been? And she says, yeah. And I says, well, I've got some good news and bad news. She says, well, what's the good news? And I says, well, the good news is... Yeah, we really were good at saving. And I, she says, well, then what's the bad news? I says, we've been saving for Uncle Sam. <laughs> so the, the good news was, that we, you know, everything that we had to pay, we, we had it in our savings account. And so we just wrote out this massive check and, uh, and sent it off to Uncle Sam. And then we tried to correct things with HR, and they were really good and trying to figure it all out. And our tax preparer was really good at sorting it all out. But, you know, uh, you, give me a Bible and tell me to teach, and I'll go for it. But try to tell me about numbers and finances and taxes, and I'm not very good at that. So I, it, it's been a lot of years and so many changes in our lives that um, keeping up with it is impossible. So that's why I hire a tax preparer to handle it for me. He's been with us probably for almost 20 years, so he was he was kind of surprised. But God was so good in order to make that all happen. But the coolest thing is, in that whole process of this last year, we've had this wonderful challenge in our spirit to be a part of this Mission 1-8 here at our church. 
And so we, we uh, upped our giving and made a promise that we would do that. And uh, I have a tracking record uh, on my desk so that I can follow it for the year. And uh, the, the amount of our giving that we upped it, of course, was reflective on what I thought our finances were. And so this massive amount of money that we just sent Uncle Sam kind of puts a damper in the whole thing. So we thought, well, man, we made this promise and thought that the Lord was going to honor it. And we uh, set it all aside. And, and now what are we going to do? Because it's... Uh, You've got a buffer, and then now the buffer's gone, and and uh, so we said, well, let's uh, keep our promise before the Lord, and so we just kept on giving according to what the Lord brought in, and now we are here at the end of April, and just because of the way the Lord does things, I was telling Yvonne last night, I said, remember when this happened, and I had to fill in for somebody, and then this happened, I had to fill in for somebody, and this happened, I had to fill in for somebody, and this happened, so I had to fill in, she says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I says, well, I, I just got, I just got surprises from all these people, and the generosity that they have shown to us, without them knowing our situation, has been amazing. And we're ready. We're we're halfway through rebuilding the resources that we spent uh, four weeks ago. And I I tell you, it it is an amazing thing to see that there's no human way out of a problem, and then to be living through a divine solution that God never really said that he was going to do this in light of the problem that we were then facing. And as, as I prepared to today's lesson, I just kept thinking, boy, God, you, you have been so faithful, not just because of a story long ago or a story on the other side of the world, but you've been incredibly faithful to us. And you've given us things that we thought and expected, and then the surprises absolutely overwhelmed us to the point where we thought problems were going to be oppressing us to the point where we really couldn't accomplish anything and life was about as miserable as can get, and yet you restore. And you start us back on a road to to a new chapter that's absolutely amazing. So it's been really, really fun and in the aftermath to reflect back on what God has done in the month of April in 2014 for Yvonne and me. Uh, but it really fits in with our lesson today as we think about Joshua 12, 13, and 14, that many times God does something huge in our life that looks like a challenge and a trial that we can't figure out humanly how in the world can we get over this. And if we just maintain in the moment of our of our difficulty, our trust and our faith that God knows exactly what is happening, and he knew that before we ever realized it, and the solutions that he is going to provide are absolutely already in place before we even understand the problem that he's trying to resolve for us. So if we can just keep that moment of just trusting him when it seems like all is lost, then there's something about enjoying the delight of God's incredible, amazing blessings when it comes down later, especially for us guys, when it comes down to our pocketbook and comes down to the money that we're getting and the money that we thought we would get and the money that we never expected that we were then obligated to pay. Those are the kinds of ways in which God touches us in a real way as men. It uh, reminds me of this story of a guy who was a traveling salesman, and he had the whole southwest United States to cover. So he spent many, many times on the road by himself, traveling long, long miles uh, on lonely stretches between places where there was a great civilization where he could sell his wares and represent his company. And one long stretch of uh, desolation, he, he saw somebody on the side of the road up ahead, and he 
he couldn't believe this out in the middle of nowhere. Someone's walking in this hot sun and through this arid desert. And he got closer and he realized it was a Native American woman. And she was carrying this huge saddle. And he thought, man, this is kind of crazy. So he pulls over and says, hey, you know, I I just see that you're out here and um, I'm on the road. And, if, you know, if you need a ride, I'd be happy to take you wherever you need to go. So she smiled and nodded with gratitude. And he says, you want to put your saddle in the in the trunk? He, she says, no. So she said, uh, I'm fine. So she climbs into the front seat on the shotgun side and she sits down with a massive saddle on her lap. So the salesman takes off and he's glancing over there and she's taking care of the saddle like it's a pet, just stroking it and feeling all the, the tooled pieces. And he says, well, that's a that's really a nice saddle. And the Native American woman smiles and says, thank you. Got it for my husband. And the salesman thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And she smiles as she's stroking the saddle. Good trade. <laughs> there, there are moments in life when, when you think you can kind of figure things out and it's not quite like you thought it was. And it's not so much that we got to rewind or relive because those are never real possibilities. It's not realistic. But every time we enter into a new chapter and a new possibility with potential, then there's there's a chance for us to make a difference with what we've already learned. And for all of us who are men of faith, how in the world we can enter in to these new chapters and really honor the Lord with all the things he's taught us about faith and trust in him. So in some ways, when we look at this passage of Scripture and these uh, two remar- three remarkable chapters, it's about signing the deal. And we have a promise that God has made to us. We agree to it, so now we got to live through it. It's not a matter of tearing up the contracts of the past and starting over. It's not a do-over. God doesn't allow us to do that very often. But what he does do is he, he changes the circumstances now or in the future to allow us to go into a new movement. And so I, I really love this section of the Scripture because it reminds us to to reflect over what are the promises that we are trusting God for in the past from Him, and then what are the alliances that we have made that we now have obligations to, and what kind of promises that we have made that we now hold our character in order to demonstrate our performance in the days to come. And once we realize we've entered a new chapter, but the old promises and the agreements of the past still are overwhelming and they are directive in our lives, are we willing to take those first initial steps to show that we're not trying to get out of something, but we're just trying to be faithful and live up to what God has already given to us? For, for years and years now, decades and decades, I've, I've had many, many students in preparing for ministry, and, and so often when I, when I meet with my students at the end of a semester or as we I wrap up a school year. I just make them a promise knowing that this is probably the last time I'll see him. I said, look at when God takes you to wherever he's going to take you and no matter what he puts you in and you need some prayer, you need some help and you feel like you're all alone. Just remember, I made you this promise. No matter where I am or where you are, what, no matter what you're facing or what I'm facing, if you need help, you contact me and I'll be there for you. Over the years, this has been a promise that I keep making to students. And every once in a while, one of these students from long ago uh, writes, lets me know, and now these days, wonderful through Facebook and and uh, texting and email. They let me know that they, they need me. 
But one of one of my students who was just a very solid student, her name was is Mary, not a real name, and Mary was just she and I just had a great connection and she loved learning the word of God and I was so thrilled when she told me that after graduation God was sending her to this place back home and I was so happy for her. And then she wrote to me and said she'd met the the man of her dreams and she sent me a picture of their wedding and it was just beautiful and she was such a happy bride and she'd sent me a picture of them when they had their first baby and then their first house and then their second baby and and now it's been um, a number of uh, years in, that, in double digits and and I didn't hear from her for for a number of years and then all of a sudden I I get this note and she says Mary says to me uh, Bruce my relationship with so and so which was her husband is now over. And I, I just felt, I remember that moment as soon as I saw that note, it was just that very brief note, and I just felt for her so deeply, and I just prayed for her, and I said, God, just bless Mary. I only know a little bit about the pain that she's going through, and whatever new chapter that she, you brought her through, remind her of all the promises that you've given to her. And so I wrote to her, and I said, thanks for contacting me. You know that my, my prayers are, are yours. You can count on them. I've already prayed for you. Let me know if there's anything that I could do. And she wrote to me uh, just yesterday, and she said, yeah, he, referring to her husband, pray for him. And I, I, my first thought was, wow, how wonderful this is. Here she and her husband are breaking up, and her first request for me is to pray for him. And then I read on, and she says, these are the three things. Infidelity, clubbing, which was he's going out, secret life at nights, and gallivanting around town and abuse in the home. Those are the three things, and she says, just pray that God would convict his heart and he would repent. And God has been so faithful to me in carrying me through this most awful moment in my life. And here here I am admiring this student that I had many, many, many years ago, and she's recognizing that there's one thing that she's going to count on, and that's the faithfulness of Almighty God and the promises that God made to her. And then here is a man that she trusted to be God's personification on this earth for her. And he was living a double life. And he promised her and the witnesses and her father and before God as witness that he would be faithful to her. And he was not. And it's not so much how awful he is. I mean, I've heard that kind of story too many times in ministry. But what really stirred my spirit was how strong she was in a time of deep pain. That she was not being selfish, not being vindictive, but she was saying in this new horrible chapter of my life, I'm going to trust God for his faithfulness, and I want God to work in my ex-husband's life. Now, gentlemen, here's a huge challenge for all of us from the standpoint of not only that life and that illustration, but a passage of Scripture like this. God is taking the nation of Israel, and here at the end of chapter 12, we come to the middle part of the book. And God does a review, and what he does is he reviews all that God has done through Moses on the east side of the Jordan River. And then God does a review of what he's done through Joshua on the west side of the river. And God has done all these amazing things, and this is the foundation of a promise that God has given to the nation of Israel. So in these recorded victories, it's not just that they can remember them, but God records them. 
so that they can review them. And then God records what God's done through Joshua and records them. Sixteen kings in the south have been overwhelmed because of God's faithfulness to Joshua and his leadership. And not only the 16 kings in the south, but also 15 kings in the north. That's 31 battles, 31 enemies that God through Joshua has overcome. Now that's a lot of faithfulness. And here in the, the passages of Scripture in the first 11 chapters, we didn't read about 31 battles. We only read about a few. Suddenly we start to think, here in this assessment of chapter 12, God didn't record all of the battles that he had done faithfully through Joshua and the leadership. But God did it. It reminds us, doesn't it, that God is faithful even more than what we remember in our own minds if we're actually to see the accounting table of how many times God has blessed our lives. On the basis of that, God gives a nation of Israel an identity. Because a nation that we oftentimes refer to the nation of Israel, but before this particular juncture, a nation really isn't a nation unless they have two things. They have to have a constitution, and they have to have real estate in order to identify themselves as a nation. So Israel had a constitution from the time that they left Egypt when God gave them the law through Moses. But they were now a nomadic people with no land. And then the real estate that God gave the nation of Israel on occasion to bury someone like Sarah, it was a small plot of land that they purchased. And if you could ever remember back to the book of Genesis, this wonderful, amazing sense where Abraham did not bring Sarah back to the home that he left to bury his wife, but God made it possible for him to purchase land in the land that God was going to give the nation of Israel to bury his wife so that his beloved Sarah was buried in the land that God promised the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel finally comes to a point here in Joshua chapter 12 where they become a nation identified because they have the two things that are, that, that are a requirement for a nation. They have a constitution or the law, and they now have a land that's theirs. And in the record of this land, Israel has these two features. And that's what chapter 12 is all about, a very quiet unassuming way where God says, I promised that you would be a nation, a great nation in the world, and that through the nation of Israel, all the world would be blessed. Now, sometimes when we read the scriptures too quickly, we kind of miss this part. But this is where God constituted Israel as a nation because of those two great requirements. But one of the things that God does through this is he says, now, Joshua, I've got something to say to you. And the scriptures give the testimony first. Joshua is old, and so God speaks to Joshua personally. Joshua, you are not just old, you are very old. Now, I, I know that when we all want to hear God say something to us, we really want him to say how much he loves us, how special we are to him. We really don't want him to remind us of what we see in the mirror every day or what we feel like every time we step out of the bed or each time those young'uns start to run faster than us and make fun of us as the grandpa in the group. But God is doing something here to Joshua, letting him know that there's a new chapter coming into his life and chapters that follow him of which he will not be a part. And so there's a great sense where growing older is a big part of life. And those are new chapters where we not get to rewind anything, but instead to live our lives with a different kind of perspective. Uh, I don't know about you, but all during our young years as a family, our, our desire was to save up our money 
and to give our kids a real treat that someday we would take our children to what every good parent does for the kids, that we would take them to Disneyland. So it only took us about, oh, I don't know, 15, 16 years, something like that, and we finally saved up enough money and took the kids to Disneyland, and we had a blast. Actually, they had a blast while we paid for it, and they went on rides, and man, we're not going to go on that thing. And if it goes around and around, it goes up and down really fast or just as speedy, we're not, we're not into those kinds of rides. So now that all of our kids are out of the home and we now have an empty nest uh, blessing, um, I'm going to take my wife to Disney World for the very first time. And we're going to go there in June after we're both done with work, and this is going to be our a celebration of our 37th wedding anniversary. So we've been saving up, saving up, saving up, and uh, we are just going to have a blast. And uh, no one has to tell me, and the travel agent surely didn't tell me, you know, uh, 37 years old, you're, you're, you're kind of old to be going to Disney World. She didn't have to say that. If she said it, I would have gone to another travel agent. <laughs> and and uh, she says, well, what do you want to do on your trip? I said, something that's fitting two people who are our, our vintage of life. And she started laughing. She says, so you're going to stay away from the Magic Kingdom. I said, yeah, we're not interested in any of those wild rides. We just want to walk, enjoy each other, and enjoy the, the different entertainment features. We love to sit down and watch a show. That's one of our favorite things to do in all these theme parks. And she laughed and laughed. She says, you know, this is the most, one of the, the delightful trips I like to make. When two people who've been married that long love being together, I love planning a trip for people like that. So this is, this is exactly where Joshua is here in chapter 13. God says, you're old, you're very old, you're not washed up, and I'm not going to use you anymore. But I've got a new chapter for you. Conquering is done. You've done the lion's share. And now what he's going to do, he's going to transition this obedient leader to something different. Now you're going to give a charge and a responsibility to each of the individual tribes and tell them the big job is done, now you guys do the cleanup. Don't shirk your responsibility to do the cleanup. Remember what God has done to do the big thing. That way God can be faithful to you in the smaller things. So when God has done great big issues in our life and we have seen him faithfully carry us through, now the subsequent days that come after that, that we live as faithful followers of him as a result of all that, that is a huge part of our life of faithfulness. So if you are here today and there are no big trials, no huge successes, it doesn't mean you're coasting. It means you're living a life of faithfulness in a chapter where you're now being faithful to what God has accomplished in your past in order to make your promised present absolutely a huge blessing to the name of Almighty God. Now there's something here that a lot of you could tuck away for the times when you support your pastor. So whatever church you represent, there's probably five or six different churches that are represented here in Warrior's Heart. You have a pastor, and one of the things about pastors and people in the ministry relates to this very strong parallel, and that when God was telling Joshua to distribute the land, one of the tribes, the tribe of Levi, from which we get the priests or the spiritual leaders for the nation of Israel, they were not going to give them a plot of land. They're going to give them a city and some pastures and some farmland, but as far as a big plot of land, they would not be identified with any kind of real estate. Instead, God says their reward is serving you as a nation 
when they bring you to me for worship. Just leading in worship for the people, that is sufficient for them. But one of the great ways in which they're going to be able to eat and be able to sustain themselves and their family is when you as a nation bring your fruit, bring your livestock for sacrifices. The beneficiary of all that from the standpoint of consumption are the priestly families. Do not forget to take care of the pastor who shepherds the church where you are a part of. Because they can't do it themselves. They focus their attention on the teaching of the Word of God and bringing you into the presence of Almighty God. Make sure you take care of them. Because that is what God did for the nation of Israel back long ago. It's the same principle that we follow today. Don't muzzle the oxen when he's doing the work of making sure that everyone else is fed. Now, there's a side lesson besides uh, the nation of Israel looking at the, Levi, uh, the tribe of Levi, making sure that the, the priests and the ministers are taken care of. It's this idea that the two and a half tribes who said, you know, the giants are still pretty big, and everything west of the Jordan, yeah, it looks great, but I think we'll settle here on the eastern side of the River Jordan. People who settle because they live by sight and not by faith, that's not bad when Almighty God is with you. But you always have to recognize the limitations of those choices that we make out of our human spirit rather than by our sight of faith. So if you are here today and your life is really measured by the things you are afraid of that God might call you to do, and so you live by your bank account and your job and your potential in the workforce, that's not bad, but it could be so much better if you live by faith rather than by sight. And God keeps reminding us here now in 2014, like he did through this a great example of these two and a half tribes who settled by human sight. Don't limit what God wants to pour into your life because of the choices by your human eyesight. Live by faith, and faith is always a choice. The emphasis here, again, it goes back to the tribe of Levi for the second time. And when God says something once, it's sufficient. When God says something twice, we really better pay attention. So we who are in the ministry, we cannot choose to live with the anticipation of receiving the worldly kind of rewards that other people that we are leading do. And for people in the ministry, it's not not an impossibility for us to be tempted to try to covet what other people have in this world. So the scripture just is reminding us, live by faith, not by sight. Joshua is going to go out of the picture because the big battles are done. Now it's our individual responsibility to clean up what God has given to us by faith. Now, Joshua 14 is really a fun part of the scripture. And if you look at these three, this is where you should camp some and reflect with a little bit slower speed because Caleb is the hero. He trusts God's sovereignty when victory is something that he saw by faithful eyesight. And he lived his life with courage and tenacity. And the amazing thing about Caleb, he never had to wear glasses. He never had back problems. So even in his 80s, he can go into battle with fervor and enthusiasm and lead the young ones into a battle and come out victorious on the other end. He had a kind of tenacity in his faith that is absolutely amazing. Have spiritual men who will be content with what they receive. When you find them, don't let go of them. And when Joshua had someone like Caleb, he kept them close by. And that relationship was absolutely astounding. 
If you could find people in your life who model and mimic the kind of faith that you would really love to have for yourself, build and fortify that relationship and never let go of it. Now, gentlemen, I know that one of the hardest things for us as men is to let go of our solitude, but we've got to. Because the greatest accomplishments by faith are done in relationships with others who live by faith with the same kind of passion that we do. If you are here and you say to yourself, you know, I can't. I can't think of another man that I could call at any time because of his life of faith that he would pour into me knowing that I'm struggling for a moment. Or someone that I would pour into if he called me and asked for help. If you are that kind of life today with that kind of solitude that kind of pervades your life, you get in touch with any of the leaders here at Warrior's Heart. You get in touch with any of your pastors and tell them you're tired of doing it alone and you want to build a relationship of faithful interaction with a brother or brothers in Christ who could spur you on to great good deeds of faith. That's what Joshua 14 is all about. It is a modeling of this relationship. Caleb to the point of giving him great abundance with the land. Not land that's easy, not that land that's already conquered, but land that's going to continue to challenge him. He wants to clean up for himself the promises of the land that God has given to him. And Caleb does not shirk. He does not shrink back from the opportunity, even in his old age, to express his faith before Almighty God. And here's something absolutely powerful, and that is his concept that loyalty is held in high esteem here in Scripture, in the relationship between Joshua and Caleb together. Now, when I look at these three chapters and the, think and pray about the charge that we should, as men, take from this, we don't, we don't want to be the kinds of men who have a great start and then, then blow it in the end. We don't want to be the kinds of people that Joshua has this amazing track record of following, the amazing track record of Moses giving us our parcel of land, and then we look at the land and we think, Okay, what do I do now? And I'm afraid because there's some Philistines left. There's a few Canaanites left. There's some Amorites left. And man, oh man, I I think I'll just make peace with them and live in this small portion. That's not what God said. God says, I've given you the big battles and the big victories. Now, don't just be a a one-shot wonder here because you were a part of something big. Now, you be faithful in taking what's left and solidify what has been given to you. You know, as I think about this lesson and how we can take it home, one of the things that we can remember is we don't want to be a flash in the pan. Oh, yeah, I was a member of this church. Oh, yeah, he was my pastor. Oh, yeah, I went to this, and this is what God provided. But then how did your life end? Once you had all those blessings and all that resource poured into your life, what did you do with it? Well, I just sort of muddled through. Nothing really happened as a result. That's not why God gives us a leg up. Now, this particular phrase, flash in the pan, I I don't know if you know the historical difference or the origin of this, but this really comes from the old days of firearms. So if you are here and you're into firearms, and this is kind of probably brightens your your day, if you're here and you're you're not a firearms kind of guy, you're thinking, this is weird. But this is where this phrase, flash in the pan, came from, from the days when they had flintlock rifles or flintlock firearms. And you'd have this muzzle loader, and you'd put your powder charge down the muzzle, and Put your paper wad in there and then jam your, your lead ball down. And once it was all down, you you got to figure out how to ignite this main charge inside the barrel so that this compression can all have a direction that the barrel has it pointing toward. 
Well, here, this is how they ignite this thing with this uh, whole feature. And uh, you can see there's a little hole here. And that port goes into the barrel. And right there by the port, you've got this pan. And on this pan, you pour in a charge of gunpowder. And right here by the pan, you have a piece of sandpaper or a rough, uh, rough uh, anything to ignite the flint that's already held up here in the hammer. And when with enough force, you pull the trigger and this hammer with the flint comes down on this rough sandpaper-like material on the pan, it sets off a spark. And that spark then hopefully ignites the gunpowder that's in this pan, and there's enough firepower in that pan so that it'll send the fire down that port to ignite the gunpowder that's in the, the barrel to then explode in a controlled force to send the ball out the muzzle. Now, if you're thinking it took a long time to explain it, you're forgetting that it takes a long time to actually do that, and so you got to hold the barrel or whatever you're pointing at and count to about 25 hours before the thing finally gets going. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly the problem, but that's uh, the amazing sense of what gunpowder invented by, of course, my relatives. And uh, this, this phenomenon of what's going to occur here, because you've got this huge explosion on this pan that's just sort of uh, dissipated in all different directions, but hopefully some of that dissipation would go down that that uh, particular tube and ignite the main charge and send that ball down the barrel and your enemy would be knocked over. Well, sometimes that port gets plugged up or sometimes that port uh, gets gets to the point where there's not enough fire that goes down there and the fire goes everywhere else. And it's a pretty spectacular deal to watch the gunpowder in the pan explode and you don't want to you don't want to hold a, a flintlock rifle like you do a modern gun, where you put your eyeball as close as you can to the sights. You got to really hold your head away, and many times they would point, aim, and then they turn their head away, and then they pull the trigger because they didn't want their eyes to get burned up by this tremendous flash in the pan. But if the flash in the pan was spectacular, if it didn't go down that little port and never ignited the the charge inside the barrel, the gun wouldn't go off. And all you would have was this spectacular fire or a flash in the pan with no measurable effect of what you were really desiring to do. Now, gentlemen, you are here at Warrior's Heart, and that's a flash in the pan. You are here at a very early hour, that's a flash in the pan. You're going to be talking to your brothers in Christ, that's a flash in the pan. But our real prayer as we put this whole thing together is that that fire would now go down to that port and ignite the primary charge to send a bullet down that barrel so that where you aim that gun, it will accomplish its task. Now, I don't know how many times you're praying for the city of Houston, but I pray for the city of Houston so often. When I'm doing those flyovers on, the, on our interstate, when I'm going to some of the parts of town that are really awful, when I'm going through the, some of the parts of the town that are incredibly affluent, I'm just saying, God, I don't know how. I don't know how we can turn this city into a place where people will say, look at what God has done in the city of Houston. But the more I read about what God has done in the past, his faithfulness in the past, so we can take care of the the necessary cleanup now, over and over and over again, when God has done something amazing in these great spiritual awakenings and shakeups of our country in the past, it has not been because of professional ministers like me. It's not been because of professional ministers who are your pastors. Almost every single time 
It's been because of people who are men, who are not professional in the ministry, that they are laymen, but people who are men who love Jesus Christ, and they not only love Jesus Christ, but they pray. And however God wants them to, to manage whatever parcel of land God has given them, then that starts to multiply itself, and boom, before you know it, you not just have a flash in the pan that's pretty spectacular in your life, but it's multiplied many times, and that fire goes down that port and launches this particular lead ball because the main charge has been ignited. Gentlemen, don't be a flash in the pan. Be a Caleb who took and stood upon the foundation of God's great faithfulness and on the basis of those great victories, then took the parcel that God had given them, God had given him, and he cleaned up what was left and was faithful. And when that's multiplied by 12 times, the nation of Israel became a people who represented him in all the world. Have a great time in your table talk. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.